Yes, welcome back. Second time this week. Let's talk all things AFC East. This is the Full 10 Yards NFL Podcast. Hello, everyone. Cecil Martin here. Hey, this is Hunter Henry. What's up, man? This is Max Crosby, part of Raider Nation. Hey, this is Ross Tucker, former NFL offensive lineman. Hey, it's Tyler Lockett of the Seattle Seahawks. Hey, this is Jerry Judah, wide receiver for the Denver Broncos, and you're listening to the 14-yard NFL Podcast. Yes, our tour around the NFL continues and we go to the AFC East. Uh, For once, none of us actually fans of any of the teams here, fellas, but uh, certainly a couple of very well-supported teams from a UK fan perspective. We'll get onto those in due course. First, let's welcome the boys back in for the second time this week. Steve, how are you doing, pal? Yeah, doing pretty well, thank you. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be strange to do a podcast where none of us support a team. Could we all be unbiased for once? Well, well, we will try our best. We always try to be unbiased, but obviously this stage of the season, optimism and expectation normally kicks in, doesn't it? So everyone thinks they're going to the Super Bowl at this stage of the season. Josh, how are you, buddy? Yeah, grand. This is a division that I think that all of us actually have quite a lot of knowledge about, simply because it's always a division that's rammed down our throats somewhat. So, uh, you know, it'll be nice to talk about it in a way where some, some of the Bigger teams around the UK aren't seeing the favourites, so I, I will be eating a bit of uh, uh, not not humble pie, but maybe sort of a revenge salad or something like that. Something of which uh, just shows that maybe New England don't have it all their own way for once. That's nice. I can't remember a time where that could be said. Yeah, I think it's one one truly safe to say the dynasty is over. We'll get on to the Patriots in due course, but we'll start off, fellas, as we do with all of these. We'll go chronologically, so just a refresh of the order from last year. Buffalo won the division 13-3, and three. Miami 10-6 and six in second, just missed out on a wild card for the AFC side of the playoffs. New England, a losing season at 7-9, and nine, and the New York Jets waited right until the penultimate week of the season to win their first game, and then ended up winning two to finish 2-14, and 14, thus missing the number one pick. So we'll get on to that, I'm sure, in due course, because uh, we know there's a train of thought that actually sometimes winning isn't the best thing, but like I say, we'll leave that till later on. Let's start with Buffalo, then Steve, like I say, 13-3 and three last year. Um, great season. Can they... Uh, do it all again? Can they go even better than last time? Take us through the uh, the off-season perspective for Buffalo. Yeah, so you started the, the the pod by saying that, you know, rightfully so, every fan in his right mind thinks that this team is going to the uh, to the Super Bowl. But surely this year for Buffalo, it's Super Bowl or bust. You know, they, they were one of the strongest teams in the in the AFC last season. Um, and all they seem to have done was strengthen that unit, both offensively and defensively in the draft. Um, and, and they look like a, a, an accomplished team. And if you looked at their roster from start to finish, you'd say, yeah, this is certainly a roster that I would pick to be you know if they were there on february the 13th or whatever it is this year next year even um you wouldn't be surprised and it's been a long time coming for buffalo they've you know they've like you said josh they've lived in that patriot shadow for so so long um and it, and it's great to see them see them doing well josh allen is on a massive massive upward trajectory it's interesting with with josh allen you look at his first two years and and he wasn't 
that much to write home about. You know, he wasn't certainly wasn't blowing the league away like he did last year. And then he came out of the blocks last year and went 13 and three and, and had a, and had a hell of a year. So, you know, he's, he's, and he's been rewarded with that absolutely astonishing contract. Um, you know, absolutely monumental uh, figures for for him around the sort of Pat Mahomes level in terms of the of the numbers. Um, but last year, he sort of you know he he proved it. His completion percentage went up from fifty two point eight percent in in twenty eighteen, fifty eight point eight percent in twenty nineteen. So both below sixty percent, not really filling you with huge amount of confidence. And then last year, it shot up to sixty nine point two percent. You know, that's a massive massive jump up and you could certainly point to the addition of, of stefan diggs on the offense and, and them two created a huge huge chemistry straight away and 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 diggs looked you know we all knew he was good in, in minnesota but he looked even better in buffalo and 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 you know then then they'll be you know buffalo will see that as a as a as a, a huge win in, in the column for the trade on that one um you know and and i think where where buffalo needed to improve they did they they needed last year to get more pressure on the quarterback that was one of the ways they they sort of struggled last season um they didn't have a single player with more than five sacks in 2020 now you know it's usually teams have got one guy that stands out but they didn't have a single one so they went and they get greg Rousseau from miami and wake forest defensive end boogie basham as well so they in round two so they straight away address that defensive line they address that pressure in the quarterback and they straight away go after and do it so you know it's it they they've added pieces they've got a great quarterback great receiving room which they added emmanuel sanders too as well which i think is an upgrade on john ross not by much but i think it's an upgrade um you know so i you know i tentatively i would definitely say that the bills will be back in the afc championship maybe maybe can they it's just whoever can beat uh you know kansas city who are they going to be the team to do it yeah, so I've got Buffalo very, very high on my power rankings, for example. I've, I've re- wrote the uh, the latest uh, edition for that on Sunday uh, for the site. I've got them up as number three, and rightfully so, as you say. They are a Super Bowl or bust type team. The roster is primed and ready. Um, I think that there's only really two glaring issues for them. Um, and they're not even issues when you actually look at it, but it's two things of which if I was in Buffalo shoes and as a Browns fan, I pretty much am, but in a different sense because it's a roll or bust as well. But, you know, the two things that I'd be looking out for is it was a really good year for Allen, a really good year, you know, a diamond in the rough year. Are we going to see a slight come down from that? Because I attribute it, like you said, to Stefan Diggs. You know what a masterstroke of a of a pickup that was because it worked just so perfectly for Allen and both of their figures skyrocketed up in tandem, and it just worked so well. But as teams have more tape on the Allen Diggs dynasty, are they able to work out ways to stop them? Uh, does he have to go to other receivers more often? Can they deal with it? These are the questions that you have to ask. And then another one is the running game as well. They're backing Singletary to be their main rusher again and I just think that there's that that he's no more than an average back which is fine for some teams Buffalo's obviously more of an air offense anyway um, but it's just a case of whether or not you need a bit more variety at that point but like I say they're minor points and stuff of which may only matter when you get to a championship game we're still very very high on them but you know I'd just put that forward really 
I think, yeah, we're, we're almost trying to sort of pick holes in what is a very good yeah. roster and a very good team. And, you know, you look at Josh Allen's contract in 2024, his cap hit, sorry, in 2023, his cap kit goes from 16.3 million to 39.7 million. That is a massive, massive jump. So they are very much in a win now mode. They've got the next two years before his cap hit comes in and they've got to start, you know, spreading the money around. So they are very much in a win now mode. And I think they are one of sort of three or four in the AFC that I would put in prime position to be in that AFC championship game in February, in January, and, and certainly hat in the ring for a, for a Super Bowl berth, I'd, I'd say. Yeah, and one extra thing just to um, keep an eye on as well is the fact that, you know, they are not improving in a vacuum. The AFC East, as we will talk about, you know, for the rest of this pod, you know, it's improving with them. So when we talk about winning now, do it before the others catch up. You know, you've got maybe two years until the others catch up. Do it now. Get your ring now. I mean, don't get your ring now, but get your ring now if you're Buffalo because the others are coming. The schedule this year is quite nice for them. You'll hear later that I've got them very high on the win total. I think that uh, the over-under is incredibly low on Buffalo. Just try not to force it to digs all the time because teams are going to get wise. Yeah, I'd probably feel like a little bit of the odd one out here. I'm, I think Buffalo rightly are favourites for the division. Um, I'm probably just not as sold on them as everybody else. I'm sold on the coaching stuff. I think Sean McDermott's fantastic, and he seemingly has improved them every year. Um, I know Kieran, um, who joins us regularly on the podcast, is a huge Josh Allen fan, but I wonder whether we have hit the Josh Allen ceiling as opposed to the new Josh Allen floor. Um, we shall wait and see. I think when the big lights came on at the back end of last season, you look at his playoff performances, um, you know, very decent against Indianapolis. Um, but then the, the following two games in the game against Baltimore, you know, went 23 of 37, 62%. Um, and then in the loss to the Chiefs, went 28 of 48, 58%. So, you know, certainly the completion percentage way down from where it had been throughout the season. I think defensively, they seemingly took a little bit of a step back last year. They had problems against the run. Um, I know, Steve, you sort of addressed the fact that they brought in additional pieces on the defensive line. I think as much as anything, you know, they'll be trying to get more in the uh, the run-stopping department from that group as well. They've also brought in FA Abada as well um, from Carolina. So, obviously, a British connection there. Um, but, you know, 11 times last year, they gave up over 100 yards on the ground. Um you know, in two games, they actually gave up a 200-yard rusher. So I certainly think they're a team that could be gotten at. Um, there's a lot of pressure on Josh Allen without that running game there. The only thing they've done to address the running back position, you know, in terms of any additions, is Matt Breeder, which, let's be honest, isn't going to be filling anybody with any fear. Um, you know, he's been a reasonable player wherever he's been, but he's been nothing more than a change of pace back. So I certainly think they, they deserve the title of favourites in the division. I'm not as massively sold on them in terms of, you know, sort of Super Bowl talk and all the rest of it. I certainly think they're going to be in playoff contention, um, you know, but I think for me there needs to be a few improvements across the board from where they were, um, you know, a year ago. Um, I, I do think there is still a bit of a gap between them um, and the Chiefs, um, as ultimately was was found out last year. So we'll wait and see whether they've plugged any of those 
um, gap, so to speak. Um, Steve, I think you're going to pick out a couple of players for us on the Buffalo side um, to look out for and players that uh, need to improve from where they were this time 12 months ago. So yeah, I think I think with with Buffalo, obviously avoiding the obvious players that we could look out for, we could talk about Stefan Diggs all night, but we're not going to do that. Um, I was really intrigued by their first round pickup of, of Rousseau. I think as a, as an edge rusher um, in his uh, twenty nineteen uh, college season, he had fifteen point five sacks. Um, which was only behind Chase Young's 16 and a half. So he's obviously coming into Buffalo and coming into the NFL with a lot of uh, of promise from his from his colleges. He opted out of the of the 2020 season due to COVID. So that is always a lingering question, as we discussed last week. But I think he comes in with a lot of talent, and that Buffalo defensive line, as we've just discussed, needs some improvement. So if he can be the breakout guy and can get them, you know, anywhere from sort of six to 12 sacks, it's going to be an improvement on what they had. And, and if he can be the, the sort of stalwart, and in, 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 certainly in his rookie season, if he can do anything near to what Chase Young did, then, you know, he's going to be a good player. So I'd say uh, certainly him to watch out for. Um, in terms of in terms of someone who's, uh, who's uh, getting on the hot seat, shall we say, can we say Cole Beasley? Are we allowed to do that? Is that is that too controversial? <laughs> yeah. Bring it. Uh, for obvious reasons, I think uh, uh, I'm no, I'm, I'm not going to say Cole Beasley, um, but that is certainly the joke pick because we have to raise a glass of Cole Beasley every time we talk about him because he's got a moron. Um, but uh, I would say I, you touched on it earlier, Sean, and I would say probably um, the running back single three. Um, there's going to be a lot of pressure on the ground game next year, and obviously we've they've proven that they can air the ball out and they've got those wide receivers that can that can be. Um, you know, Allen's go twos. But if you look at Singletree's stats in his first two years in the league, in his first year, he had seven, seven, five yards uh, in, in 12 games. And then his second year in 26 games, he had 687. So, and he only had two touchdowns in each season. So, you know, it doesn't, like you said, Josh, it doesn't fill you with hope as a, as a sort of number one sort of cowbell running back. You know, he's not like a, he's not a Derek Henry or a Ezekiel Elliott type running back. He's, you know, and perhaps that's what Buffalo don't need that, but I think they need a bit more production out of him this season, especially yeah. with a 17 game season. If he's not getting towards the four figures mark, then yeah, I, you could certainly say that Buffalo won't be in, in the, in the championship game come February. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a case as well um, of it's it's not like they're not giving him the ball. With Singletary, he's getting the carries. He, there's just not a lot of explosive plays. Like, I can't remember seeing an NFL highlight where Singletary's broken past the line, the scrimmage and broken past the linebackers and is taking it downfield. He's one of those that gets you into short passing situations. And that could work for the for the Bills. But I feel like you need that variety. I think it's the variety that ends up winning games on offense. And if they end up just being an air out offense, they're going to get found out. And I think they do get found out, especially against the bigger teams. Yeah. I think like I say, that there needs to be some emphasis on that ground game. Um, we won't dwell on it too much because we've talked enough, I think about COVID over the last few weeks, but I do think it is one to watch out for in terms of Cole Beasley. And as much as when teams start getting into public spats with each other in terms of teammates over Twitter and everything, it can't be good in the locker room. And, you know, Cole Beasley's not 
a you know first or second year player that's that's young and and whatever you know he's a guy that's what in going into his, his tenth year I think he's going into now. You know he's a veteran player that some of the youngsters on the team would have been looking up to coming in. You know he's going to have an influence within that locker room. Statistically, he had his best sort of season ever last year. You know, touched on a thousand yards. I think he was just about thirty yards shy of that. Um, you know, but certainly had you know one of his better seasons. The last thing that they want this to become is a massive distraction. They don't want it to be something that you know causes friction within the camp. I do think, like I said at the outset, that's why I think Sean McDermott is key in this. I think you know he is. Um, for me, the strength of this team, you know, he, he's been a brilliant hire for them as head coach. Um, you know, so hopefully we'll keep that under control. But, you know, Stefan Diggs dealing with a bit of a knee injury at the minute. They don't know how serious that is. They're not expecting him to miss any time at this stage. Uh, put that in quotation marks. There's always never any smoke without fire. Um, you know, so they'll certainly want Cole Beasley, the wide receiver, not Cole Beasley, the off-field destruction. Uh, Steve, do you want to add anything else on Buffalo, mate, before we move it on to Miami? Yeah, I think we obviously we, we joke about Cole Beasley and you know and, and obviously his I don't think either of the three of us agree with his with his views, but I think you raise a massive point that, you know, that kind of disruption in the locker room is gonna cause friction. It has to. There is no way he sat there with especially with how he's been on social media, there is no way he sat there, you know, just, you know, biting his lip and uh, biting his tongue and not saying anything to anyone. He's making his voice heard. And if you know if you guys like for example, if you look at like what Mike Zimmer said last week about his players, if Sean McDermott's anything like that, you know that that's causing friction and they're locking heads. And Cole Beasley, as you say, happens to be a good player. He's not like some, you know, second year rookie who's barely con- contributor the team can just like you know shuffle out the back door Cole Beasley is a, is a critical player to them and if he and, and you know and one thing we haven't discussed is the obvious ramifications of if there is some kind of COVID outbreak in, in Buffalo and then the, you know the, the non-vaccinated players have got to do all the isolation stuff that the vaccinated players don't have to do that's going to cause a massive problem and if that's the reason that Buffalo doesn't make it to the championship or, or loses a game or what have you and derails their season you know how will they look at that in a few years time and yeah i i just i hope for the sake of the bills it doesn't create any sort of distraction over the season yeah let's wait and see how it does play out like you say let's hope that covid doesn't play too much of a significant part in anybody's season but like you say nobody has been more vocal than mr beasley um so yeah like you say probably further implications if it does indeed happen in buffalo we'll watch that one with interest let's move on then to the second team from last year in terms of finishing standings and that was the miami dolphins finished 10 and 6 um, probably outdid most people's expectations um, in terms of what they put together last year. Um, a lot of um, people are probably disappointed that they didn't squeeze into that wild card. Ten and six most years would have gotten you in, um, but just obviously a very, very competitive AFC last year, and they unfortunately for them fell one game shy. But Josh, have they made, in your opinion, the required? moves during the off-season to get them over that uh, hump into the next stages? Uh, yes and no. Um, so, the Dolphins definitely overperformed last year, I think. Um, I, I I was one of those that really thought that they would be around a 6-10 and 10 side rather than a 10-6, and 6, and they did. They, they definitely overperformed in some games. Um, but it was a nice schedule last year. Now I look at it, you know, I've got it here in front of me. And, you know, a lot 
there are a lot of the wins here that uh, you know you could sort of just pick off. So you know the Jags early doors, the 49ers when they'd already gone into injury hell, um, the Jets obviously twice, Bengals, um, you know. But there were there were a couple of really good victories as well, like the Chargers, the Cardinals. So. You know, when you look at those, the Rams as well, I think they beat, yeah, they beat them 28-17. So they were a very very efficient side, I think, in the same way that Cleveland was quite efficient last year, you know, where they beat the teams that they should have got a couple where they probably, you know, weren't slated to, but could have beaten them, and they did. Um, realistically, their losses were against teams of which are in a different tier to them. So, you know, Seattle, Kansas, Buffalo. Then you've got those under, underneath, like New England, and then Denver Broncos as an anomaly. You know, it's a complete anomaly in terms of the calibre of teams that they were losing to. Um, the biggest question to look quarterback, I can't trust Tour as much as I can throw him. And he's probably heavier than me. I can't frame at all. Um, I, I I can't trust him on that. I can't. The the offense hasn't improved too much. I don't think. Uh, there's a couple of new additions of which you know they, they might look sexy on paper at least, and I know that they've done so in the draft as well. Um, but personally. It's still about the defense. They've got one of the best cornerback rooms in the division, one of the best secondaries. Um, they're decent enough on the line. They're going to keep teams down in the scoring. Their schedule sort of says to me that low-scoring games can, will get you wins. Um, I reckon they'll be on the bubble again this year around the 10-win team again, um, just spoilers for later on in terms of how I think they'll do. But, yeah, I think they'll be on the bubble. Um, Buffalo, I think, will get the uh, will, will get the division. So you are looking for the team that sort of gets into those wild-card spots. 10, 10 wins might get you there. And I reckon that Miami, it, it's not going to feel like an improvement in terms of the numbers. But I think that if you let Tua have the entire season, they get 10 wins. Their defense plays as well as they did last year. Everyone gets another year in the system and they actually get into the playoffs. I think that's going to be the most important thing for Miami this year. If they can get into that seventh seed or higher, they'll be off to the race. They'll be they'll be happy with that. That's a good season for them. Um, and I think that just keeping New England off them as well, you know, if they can just keep them just below them, that's probably where they should be sitting at. Yeah, I mean, you're right to say it, aren't you? It, it feels like a bit of a broken record because we say it every time, but so much of Miami's season is going to be dependent on Tua. And yeah. you look at the, you look at it on the face of it from last season. I know he obviously shared the shared the load with Ryan Fitzpatrick in Miami last season, but he, he started nine games. He went six and three across those games with a 64% completion percentage, um, just a smidge under 2,000 yards, 11 touchdowns, five interceptions. So, you know, it, it's not, it's not dreadful on paper but it's also not you know lights out on paper either um mm. 
and you know those 11 11 touchdowns and five interceptions is not great you know 50 percent almost it's it's not it's not fantastic but you look i mean you look at the the draft in 2020 and he was the the first sorry after joe burrow he was the next quarterback taken off the board and then straight after him went justin herbert now if you're a neutral fan in the nfl right now which of those three quarterbacks would you want well yeah you go herbert every time yeah, I mean, if you take Burrow's injury out of the equation, you might say Burrow, but, you know, two is probably third choice of those three. And I don't think it's particularly close. Um, no. So there's going to be a lot of, there's going to be a lot of scrutiny on two. And, and um, you know, like you said, and, and you look down their, their schedule for this year, and it's, I think it's actually quite kind to them. I don't think their schedule's too bad, and I think they could they could put together a good enough win to run to get them that ten or eleven wins. And for I think for for Miami this season, because they were so close last year to the playoffs, for them progress this year is just the playoffs. However, they get in, they need to get into the playoffs. And you've talked about that defense, and obviously they've got some strong players. You know, Xavier Howard getting ten interceptions last season uh, is unheard of in the modern NFL. You know, nowadays with all the analytics and everything, teams have ways to to prevent that from happening and they don't go to players and that sort of thing um but him getting 10 interceptions was astonishing and you know the the off-season talk that he's had with Miami and the, and the sort of the no smoke without fire and all that sort of stuff will raise questions and does his long-term future lie in Miami most will probably say no but if they can get a, another good year out of him and they can you know make it to the playoffs with him then you know the playoffs is a different beast and I the, their line doesn't fill me with confidence either you know a lot of their um offensive line are young rookie guys i don't think any of them have had any more than three years in the league so you know they're a youthful side so it's going to be interesting um they've added to their wide receiver room i i i I mean personally i don't know why they traded up to six to take waddle i don't nothing against waddle himself i think he's a good player that was baffling yeah, but I don't know why they traded up to six to get him. So and and gave Philly a first rounder for next year. So that was uh, a bit perplexing. But you know they've got some talent. You know Devonte Parker is is a great receiver, and I think Will Fuller when he is back on the field will also be a, a good talent. So I think there's there's definitely pieces there. I think as with some teams we've said before, they're they're perhaps not quite there yet. But give it a couple more years, dependent on quarterback play, I think they could be in the conversation for sure. Yeah, I love the wide receiver in person. I think, you know, like you say, you can split hairs on whether they should or shouldn't have traded up. I think they obviously brought Waddle in to give, um, you know, to her a, a sort of friend, if you like, you know, their previous connection there. Um, Will Fuller, when he's fit and healthy and on the field, obviously he'll be suspended for the first game following on from his suspension at the back end of last year. But he's a flyer. Albert Wilson is a flyer. He missed out last year, um, opted out because of COVID, but he has got some serious speed to burn. So they're certainly not lacking for people to stretch the field. You know, if that is the case, expect big things from Mike Gazicki. We haven't really touched on him, but I think he's one of the promising young tight ends in the league um, and a big part of that offence. Um, I think you, know, you two have summed it up quite nicely. I think, you know, so much obviously does rest on the shoulders of two. I think it's, you know, quite a savvy move to bring in a respectable backup quarterback in Jacoby Brissett. You know, he's he's going to be a steady enough pair of hands. He's not going to excite anybody, but also on the flip side of that, you know, if Tua is continuing to struggle, um, they have got somebody there that they can turn the, the keys over to. And um, I think defensively, as you, as you mentioned, I I think, you know, you're going to struggle to find a better cornerback pairing, you know, in terms of Howard and Byron Jones, you know, in terms of two starters. 
Um, like the pickup of Jason McCourty, excellent veteran. Um, you know, you, you can see a lot of former Patriots, you know, sort of coming over yeah. to to a Brian Flores led team. And you know, and I mentioned Sean McDermott earlier. I mean, this for me is the division of coaches. Um, Sean McDermott, I think he's excellent. I think Brian Flores is absolutely superb. We've obviously got the greatest ever, probably in the uh, the next team that we'll look at. And obviously, a young, bright, defensive mind, you know, Robert Sala making his uh, debut season once we get on to New York. So, I think, you know, the, the coaches in this division um, are really, really good as well. So, yeah, interesting team, Miami. Like I said, right at the outset, certainly one of the, you know, well-backed and well-supported sides within the UK. So, there's always going to be an awful lot of interest in what they do. Um, you know, and certainly looking forward to seeing if they can, you know, sort of make that step into the the playoffs and the wild card spots. Um, we've talked about quite a number of players on the roster there throughout the little preview. Josh, we'll pick us out a couple, mate, the ones to look out for, ones that need to up their game. Yeah, so um, I, I'm going to go a little left field in terms of the one to look out for, and that's Will Fuller. Um, just because I thought that was quite an interesting pickup uh, from the uh, from the Texans, in that you could tell that that was one where they've looked at their receiver room and thought we need to get more weapons in. We need to we need to try and open up the field a bit more for for two or both, you know, down the lines, but also underneath. Um, I and you know if Will Fuller, you know he he is a he is a good receiver and he'll probably be playing you know in twos and threes quite a lot. So you know that that will definitely be a situation where. He, you know, he could end up being to a safety valve almost. And I think that if he ends up having a good season, two is going to have a good season, um, you know, and that's going to be quite an important, uh, quite an important piece of which on the face of it probably doesn't look that sexy, you know, fuller going to the dolphins. You probably just look at that on the, um, on the, on the trade wire and just go, Oh, okay, fair enough. But uh, I think that could actually end up being quite pivotal. Um, one on the hot seat. Now we can't talk quarterbacks, can we? So I'm just going to cross off to a. Um, but I'm going to put Xavier Howard in there just because he has backed himself a lot with. You, you know, this is not the off season for the Dolphins to have someone causing a lot of rabble raising in the in in the back office in the front office, should I say? Um, you know, I feel like it was just incredibly unnecessary. I think that the that the Finns did quite well in terms of just guaranteeing a bit more money without having to get without having to raise money overall. Um, and realistically, it does kind of put pressure on Howard to perform. Now he's going to need to keep uh, he's going to have to need to keep the numbers up in order to uh, keep his slot around because you know like every good front office they will look elsewhere if needs be and they've got the defense to be able to entice others in future off seasons for example so yeah i'd say his seat is relatively warm at least yeah and i i absolutely agree and i think from talking to a, a few of the guys in our in our sort of team who are miami fans obviously they're a well-supported team here in the uk um i think the the, the sort of feeling is is that like 
if you want to do that and if you want to kick up such a fuss, then just go, you know, just get out of the door because that's not the attitude that, that Miami wants right now. Miami's going, you know, they're deep into this rebuild and I'd say they're probably coming out the other end now and they're starting to yep. become a bit of a contender. And the, that's not the attitude you want in the locker room. That's not that you don't want someone to be like all about me, you know, sort of attitude. You want everyone to be pulling in the right direction and everyone in the team to be, you know, pulling in the right direction. And he's probably not happy because they brought in Byron Jones and made him one of the highest paid cornerbacks in in the NFL and that's probably what it is but it's it just doesn't it doesn't sit well does it and I would it would not surprise me if this is his last year in my in Miami and all roads seem to point to that but it just it's a bit of a sour note on a team that is is looking up I would say yeah the main thing for me is that it's very much a case of You've got so much positivity, particularly in that defense at the moment. You know, everyone's firing on all cylinders, looking to be one of the greatest defenses in the league. Yeah, offense is starting to get fixed up. And then right before training camp, bam. You know, it's almost like you you stop before you can get going. And that must be so deflating to even people within your own team, you know, within your own defensive ranks. So... Yeah, he's not done himself a lot of favours and he's going to have to pull out all the stops to show that he is the big dog. Yeah, it'll be interesting, like you said, to see if he can indeed replicate anything like his statistical performance from last year. Um, certainly, like I say, one of the one half of a very, very good duo at the position. Um, it's often the way, isn't it, as well? If they come in pairs, you've got to throw one or the other. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll see what he he's able to do this year. Let's move on then, fellas, to the New England Patriots. Uh, I still find it hard to say this. Seven and nine last year. Who'd have ever thought it? But yeah, New England, seven and nine last year. Um, I think it's fair to say as well, and you know, Josh, you can give us the rundown. You may well touch on it. You know, they were probably the most affected team in terms of COVID opt-outs and that type of thing last year. Um, lots of player turnover. But um, like I say, still surprising to see them with a losing record. But tell us what it's looking like in the 2021 offseason from a New England perspective, mate. Yeah, I think it was double digits, wasn't it, that uh, ended up um, not not playing last season because of uh, COVID. So they were massively affected, but I don't think it would have changed all too much in terms of last season. Seven and nine seemed about right. And uh, realistically, you know, if you're looking around 500, welcome to this season, despite the New England Patriots being uh, called the new money spenders now. So uh, I think that everyone was surprised that uh, Bill Belichick and co just completely got rid of what must be about 15 years of New England Patriot philosophy and decided to um, finally go into their little vault and count their pennies and spend $232 million in free agency. Um, I mean, that's mind-blowing, but uh, hey, if you've got the uh, spare cap room and uh, practically no one on long contracts and no cap hits, then go for it. Um, I actually found it quite exciting and I have to admit, it's one of the more fun mid-team rebuilds that you can find just because of the fact that they decided to go flashy for once. I guess it's got to be one of the few ways that you keep the fans in the in the stands after going from Tom Brady putting you in championship games and Super Bowls to seven and nine. You either do something incredibly reactive or you do what the Cavs did when they got rid of LeBron and just fall to Owen 82. 
Not that we're talking about basketball. Um, yeah, so a solid enough defence, but a lot of their defence has now migrated to Miami or, you know, has retired or gone elsewhere. So they've still got a relatively solid defence, but I don't think it's the defence of old. Um, the the offence is going to look a hell of a lot better because of the free agency signings. I love some of them, you know, John, John o. Smith, for example, and Hunter Henry, very built. Um, Bilicekian signings to have two good tight ends. You know, that is very Bilicekian. Um, Bilicekian. If I'm going to create a word, I might as well say it right. Um, and still no solid running back. I don't, I've never got Sony Michelle and James White as your running back pairing on a team that does hang on the run a lot. And, and, and they really do, because, you know, if you're going again with Cam Newton, then you're going to need solid running back play. You need an offensive line that's going to be able to graft, of which it's not the best offensive line in the league, but it's definitely serviceable. And then you're going to need good free down backs or at least a one-two punch. And I don't think that Michelle and White do that anymore. Um, and the only other thing is we are going to see Matt Jones this season we are going to see him soon my god did you two watch even the highlights of the Patriots preseason game he was by far the best rookie quarterback playing in the preseason on the over the weekend and I know what people say oh it's the preseason oh it's against twos and threes no 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 he was comfortable in the scheme he knew exactly what he was doing throwing to the right guys making big plays, making small plays, going through his progressions. He felt so comfortable in that scheme. Whereas all the others, from the looks of it, you know, all all the others, you could see the typical rookie mistakes coming in and all the rest of it. But Matt Jones looked different gravy. And that's really going to tick off one of the guys in our our team after the, uh, the meltdown he had on draft night. But uh, I think the Patriots have got something special there. I think Mac Jones was always the right pick for New England. I think the question was where they yeah. took him. I think, you know, in terms of, you know, Tom Brady, when he was picked, I know it's famous that he went all the way down in the sixth round and all the rest of it, but he wasn't, you know, anywhere near viewed the best quarterback in the draft, the same as Mac Jones wasn't viewed as the best quarterback in this draft. But in terms of what New England do and the scheme and all of that kind of thing, as you just mentioned there, he's likely to be very, very successful in it, you know, and I think that's that's what Belichick has been great at throughout all of his coaching careers, and he's been maximising what he's got with the talent at his disposal. I think just in terms of some of the things that you've mentioned there, I you know, we'll wait and see what happens at the running back room. I think a few people are quite high on Damian Harris this year to potentially sort of nail that as a starting job from Sony Michelle. I still laugh to this day that the Browns picked up Nick Chubb after the Patriots had drafted Sony Michelle. Thank you very much, New England, for that one. Yeah, thank you very much. Indeed. Um, I think, you know, in terms of the um, free agency signings, some of them felt a bit desperate. Some of them, I think, probably will be quite good, though. I think, you know, getting Trent Brown back at right tackle, I mean, he's he's quite possibly the biggest human being I've ever seen <laughs> Um, I've seen him at one of the NFL London games, and my God, what a huge human being he is. Um, <laughs> he will come back in at right tackle. Um, Matthew Judon, 
we'll wait and see. I think they've paid a lot of money for someone there that I'm not sure he necessarily um, is deserving of that type of money. I think the better business will probably be bringing Carl Van Noy back from Miami. Again, fits the scheme, knows the system. And with Donta Hightower, Donta Hightower even, right. back, um, I think you know that's effectively the defence's quarterback coming back. So I can only see New England improving on where they were last year. That, for me, is probably why I'm not as high on Buffalo when we started talking about them earlier. I think they obviously massively capitalised last year um, on a down year for New England. Um, and I think, to be fair, that's why um, there was so much money spent. I don't think it wants to be something that, you know, sticks sticks in that way, if you like, for a couple of years. I think Belichick is quite happy that he can sort of almost write last year off as a transitional year, but he will want to get very quickly back onto the, his throne, and that's why there's been so much money thrown at it. So we'll be interesting to see where they, uh, they do end up. Yeah, so I think it's twofold, really. One being that Billy B does not want to see Tom Brady lift another Lombardi whilst he's outside the playoffs. You know, I think that that there is something there of him having to almost secure his legacy in effect of making sure it wasn't all about Tom Brady. Um, one thing which I did like about most of these signings that they were very Bill Checkian signings. You know, Judon, for example, is a player that I think fits very well in his scheme. I, I think that they've, they've definitely overpaid, but that's because of point two, which is they need to create a buzz again. They, they needed to give the fans something to believe. And they've got the spare cash. So they, they're going to throw the money. You know, it's it's spare cash that they had lying around. Really. It's not like they're in cap hell. It's not like they're going to be in cap hell. It just looks a lot because they don't normally spend in free agency. Yeah, and it's and do you know what it's 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 so weird to be talking about New England in this sense. I'm just looking at their stats now because it feels like ever since I've followed the NFL since about since about 2004, 2005, the 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 Patriots have always been there. They've always just been in the conversation. You just got used to them being that team, just always won, and and it got and it got really really frustrating towards the end of it. But it must have been great times to be a fan. And in in Belichick's um, time. Uh, or in New England's time, shall we say, since two, since they won the Super Bowl in 2001, if before last season, they only had one season in the last, how many is that, 20 or 19, where they didn't have double-digit wins. And that was 2002, where they had nine wins. So they still had a winning record. That's how dominant the Patriots have been over the last sort of 20 years. And, you know, you, you talk about them being able to write off the last season. And I think that's exactly what Belichick will do. You know, he talks about the, the Patriots motto is do your job, do your job. And that's what Belichick does with his players. And there's a reason he's won six Super Bowls. And yes, Tom Brady might be out the door. And obviously he was a huge part of that. But I think, you know, like, you, like you've both just summed up, this rebuild has got a lot of Belichick about it. And I think they will, I think they're going to surprise a few people this year. I say that lightly because they're the Patriots and they're, you know, we've gotten used to them being a winning team. But after losing Brady, I think they're going to surprise a few people. And what I will say just last about the, the Mac Jones pick is that Belichick has been in this league long enough and he's he's got a great sort of working relationship with Nick Saban as well out of Alabama. He wouldn't have picked Mac Jones on a flyer. He would have done all of his homework and done his research. And you know he would have been talking to Saban every week, 
every week of the season and done all of his of his work on Mac Jones as a potential player, he wouldn't have picked him if he didn't think he was right for the scheme. And I get it. And there's that hilarious video of him marching down the, the draft room to get to go onto the podium, which is absolutely hilarious in his big oversized suit. But I, I do. I, unfortunately, he is going to. I think he will be another good quarterback for the Patriots. Cam Newton obviously isn't doing it. He's a very middle of the road guy. He, you know, doesn't obviously suit that that Patriots uh, scheme. And I think they've probably just kept him around just to give themselves another option, like much like Miami did with Fitzpatrick last year. Um, but I think you, you you're right, Josh. We will see Mac Jones soon, and I don't think it'll be long. And I think he'll be spearheading the Patriots for, for years to come. And it would not surprise me if New England has another winning record this year. So just on that, before I come to you, Josh, to highlight a couple of players for us, the schedule works against New England here in terms of they get the latest bye week possible. They don't get their bye week until week 13 or week 14, whatever it is. Uh, They're not at a bye until December the 12th. So it's way, way, way into the season. It's not like, you know, Cam's got four or five games and then there's a bye week and there's a natural point to hand the keys over. I'm looking at week four, Tampa Bay, at home. Is that the week that Mac Jones comes in? Is it before or after week four, Josh? That's a lot of pressure. That is a lot of pressure to come in week one. I get how sexy that sounds because it would be Master versus Apprentice. And I'm pretty sure that the NFL will be begging Big Billy B to do that. I just think it's either too soon either too late or too soon um and also it's uh just too big i think i think if he does it just looking at it now so you've got miami then the jets then new orleans i think that the jets and new orleans would be really uh, a good place to sort of slot him in but that might be too soon but if Cam Newton has a terrible week one against the Dolphins and the Dolphins beat the Patriots, they might think that halfway through that Jets game, especially if that's close for whatever reason at half time, you could well see uh, people clamoring for Jones there. And then New Orleans might be a nice one to sort of, you know, get his teeth into before that Tampa game because I would not want to be going up against that Tampa defense um, as my first game in the NFL. Like, thanks, Bill. That's exactly what I needed. But then you look after that as well. Um, you know, after Tampa Bay, you've got Houston, then Dallas, then the Jets. You know, those are three nice defenses to play. So it could be after the Bucks, but I wouldn't put him in first time starting against the Bucks. This is Belichick. Let's not forget. We've people have underestimated in the past. And have they even named Newton the starter yet? I don't think they have, have they? They haven't committed to one of them being the starter. So it wouldn't surprise me if he does start the season as, as QB1. It, it wouldn't surprise me. But yeah, it's the, it would be the Belichick move, wouldn't it? If Newton started the first two games and then they announce it like the night before the Tampa game or something, you know, and and, and, the, and it, it's going to be a fascinating game. It's a it's a Monday night football that week. So it's going to be a, a sort of primetime game. But yeah, I think I... I think we might see him sooner than that i think you're right we might see him uh if if he doesn't start the season as, as qb1 i think he could come in before then but if he doesn't like you said that away at houston that's a that's a nice easy game isn't it you know ease him in but you know i think he's going to show enough to probably start the season as qb1 we've talked about mac jones enough then josh so you can't pick him but give us some other players to look out for in new england and one that certainly needs to up his game 
God damn it. And there was me, Matt Jones. No. Okay. So uh, I've I've got the two tight ends down. I've got John U. Smith and Hunter Henry. Um, just because they were one of the more alarming uh, transactions brought in money-wise. Um, so both of them will have a, when, when all is said and done, it'll be $12.75 million each uh, per year. And that's the third highest for tight ends each. I've already said that Belichick loves running tight end sets, trusts them a lot. They're the quarterback relievers where there's always that. Ever since Gronkowski's left the Patriots, he's been looking for the next Gronk. As soon as I saw John U. Smith get taken, first day that free agency started, I thought, there's Gronk. And then Hunter Henry comes in and it's like, oh, Gronk on the other side. Okay, interesting. But you can tell that they're going to be so integral to this offense. And I think that for that and that alone, that's good enough to be ones to watch. Um, And then on the hot seat, Josh McDaniels. For a guy that has wanted his own team for so long, finally got his own team and then ditched it to go back to the Patriots. It's not like he's given the Patriots a lot since because the offenses have been pretty stale. And he's going to have to find a way to make the offense work this year. Because I can see him being the one to fall on his sword because you won't be able to blame the quarterback forever if uh, if Jones does um, get started after spending all this money. Because the pressure won't lie with Bill. Bill's got a legacy anyway, no matter which way I try to sort of force that narrative. So that's set aside. The next easy guy to fall on the swords, Josh McDaniels. Yeah, it's it's hard to disagree, mate. I, I think you know, like you say, his his reputation is one that you know, for whatever reason, he he always is in the conversation for head coaching vacancies. And it's not just the fact that he's linked with them; it's almost like a team would be almost privileged to get him, which I never really quite yeah. understand. Um, I think in terms of that offense, we've talked quite a bit about the tight ends. We talked about the running game. I think the receivers leaves a lot to be desired, if I'm being honest. If I look at the depth chart, Nelson Aguilar had a great season last year, but let's face it, that was an anomaly in what's been an underwhelming career. And Keel Harry, former, was he first or second round pick? Certainly he was taken high. Um, he's put a trade request in. You know, He's not happy with the situation there. Kendrick Bourne was the three on the San Francisco team last year. You know, it's not exactly a room that's filling me with dread as an opposing defensive coordinator. So I certainly think there's, you know, there's questions there. But with that being said, have New England ever necessarily had, you know, the number one or number two guys at the positions throughout? You know, yeah, they've had the occasional one. Like you say, Gronk was obviously phenomenal. You know, they had a season or two when it was Randy Moss at his peak. But, you know, in general terms, they've always managed to find a way to absolutely maximise, I wouldn't say below average talents, that's unfair on the players, but you know where I'm coming from. You know, they haven't necessarily had the megastars and the superstars there. Um, Steve, do you want to mention anything finally on New England before we flip it to the final team in the division? 
I was just going to say on the Josh McDaniels talk, um, he was apparently a finalist for the Philly head head coach job alongside Sirianni, and they went with Sirianni. Apparently, McDaniels wanted too much roster control, so that comes straight from the Belichick school of football, doesn't it? You know, Belichick has full roster control and full coaching control. So, I wonder if McDaniels is just too much of a Belichick sort of disciple, and uh, and 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 works in a Belichick sort of uh, influence scheme, but doesn't work anywhere else. So, yeah, interesting one there. Yeah, we'll save it for another day. But I think if he's going to head coach again, it's only going to be at one team, and it's the team he's with now. If and when Belichick retires, in my opinion. But like I say, we'll save that talk for another day. Let's move on then, fellas, to the final team of this week's previews, and it is the New York Jets. Finished last year, like I said, two and fourteen, winning their final couple of games. Um, it obviously meant they were picking second. Um, took Zach Wilson, um, so he is the new. Face of the franchise, if you like, and obviously Robert Sala, new head coach. So lots and lots of transition there, Steve. Um, I've obviously mentioned probably the main significant ones, but uh, give us an overview of the off-season from a New York Jets perspective. Is the worst thing that the Jets did last year decide to show up against the Rams and the Browns? Quite possibly. Um, you know, we, we talk all the time about the pros and cons of having a losing season, having a winning season, that sort of thing. But when you are 0-13 going into week 15, primed to have the Trevor Lawrence, the star quarterback for the next 15 years, and then you beat the Rams and the Browns in back-to-back weeks to take yourself out of that spot, you're almost shooting yourself in the foot. Because in my limited opinion, I think that Lawrence is a far bigger upgrade over Wilson in in then there's a depth there I think uh Lawrence is a is a sensational talent and I think he's going to go very very far in the NFL um I'm still reserved about Wilson but obviously you know early 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 days we haven't seen either of them play an NFL snap yet so we'll see how 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 that pans out um obviously Joe Douglas was given the keys as the GM a few seasons ago and that rebuild continues I don't expect New York to have um uh, a winning season this season, funny enough, either, either of the teams. <laughs> um, I don't expect the Jets to have a, a winning season. I think that the rebuild continues, but I do expect them to have more than two. Um, you know, they've, they've started to boost that that line. And we've, you know, we've talked about how much I love the trenches. Um, you know, I think Mecky Beckton was a great pick last year. We've talked about how Andrew Thomas is struggling in the other side of, of the Big Apple. So I think Mecky Beckton was a great pick. And obviously they've shored up that, that um, line with the pickup of Vera Tucker in the draft this year, who I think is a solid start. Um, you know, they're, they're starting to add to some more skill positions as well. Um, you know, I think Corey Davis is a good player. Um, I think uh, Elijah Moore was a good pickup and Denzel Mims showed flashes last year. So they've got some some pretty decent skill players and they finally got the quarterback to plug in to, to try and take the, the franchise forward. Um, and as well, I think I, I actually think Robert Saleh was actually a, quite a good hire. I'm really intrigued to see Robert Saleh mm-hmm. and how he does. I think he was very well respected around the league. Um, he came from a really good San Francisco defensive scheme um, and he's got a lot of experience. You know, he... he um, he started as a defensive intern in the NFL with the Texans, age 26 in 2005. He did six years at the Texans. Uh, he then did three years in Seattle. Um, I think right around the time they won a Super Bowl as well. So he was there when during that period of, uh, of of dominance with Seattle. He then went to the Jaguars, spent three years as their linebackers coach, and then he did four years in San Francisco as the as the DC. So he's got a lot of experience. He brings a lot of know how with him. Um, he's obviously got a huge job on his on his shoulders to to sort of keep that transition going with with New York and see if they can keep building. Um, 
I think they're still a few years out yet. I think they're one of the teams that is is really early in their rebuild, and it's going to be a while before we see the 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 um, results of that. But they're certainly, I'd say, planting the seeds, and I think they're doing well. They're certainly starting a rebuild much better than some other teams are in the league. Um, and whilst I think they might have three or four, maybe maybe five wins this year, um, I think they're they're slowly adding pieces, and and will only only uh, improve as the years go. Yeah, um, I think I think you're right in saying that they've. Uh, I, I think they've gone about a rebuild in a slightly different way. So instead of looking at the trenches to start off with, they definitely uh, sort of filled their positional um, needs first, and that might make them look a little sexier in terms of uh, in, in terms of looking at the rosters. Um, but that might end up killing them a bit more just on the fundamental plays, and that's why I think that you'll see a a lower than possible win total for them. But you're right though, they um they they have some good names. Um they've got they've now got a coach for which I think will really help because my God, the dysfunction with the New York Jets over the last couple of years, it was just laughable at one point. Um you know, obviously not if you're a Jets fan, but uh, for the rest of us you're kind of looking at it with disbelief more than anything else. Um you know, and, you know, yeah, they're, they're a couple of years out before really challenging the rest of the division. They are the slowest team in terms of being able to upgrade in the division. But that doesn't mean that they are a dumpster fire of a team. They're probably in that tier above the last one where they are seeing positive shoots so they're, they're on the upturn of their rebuild rather than looking at the drop before going into a rebuild yeah and 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 they are unfortunately in in a conference where not a conference or a division where they will be lucky if they pick up one win um yeah. you know they might they might split with the Patriots perhaps and I you know and and, and maybe they might give um uh, Miami ago, um, but I would say that you know they're they're, they're potentially yeah, looking at maybe one win in the division, and then if they can pick up a few others around uh, around the league, you know, they're, they're, again their their schedule is not going to be kind. But you could say that about any of the sort of worst teams in the league because you don't expect them to win any games. Um, but you know they start at Carolina, then versus New England, then at Denver. So as far as opening schedules go, that's not. That's not the worst they could go for, and it certainly gives um, Zach Wilson uh, some some potential, uh, you know, open and breathing space. And and they have an interesting early matchup with uh, Sam Darnold, who didn't work out in in New York famously. Um, and I think another thing that they're going to be pinning their hopes on is that Wilson doesn't go the way of Darnold and doesn't just become another. Um, uh, another player that they're just that that obviously doesn't doesn't work and ends up out the door in in sort of two or three years time. Yeah, no, yeah, it, it, it's it's hard to disagree with any of that. I think, like I say, for me, the the Robert Salah hire. I, I said earlier, I think this division is stacked in terms of coaches, and I think Robert Salah will add his name to that. Um, I'm pretty confident on that. I think he, like you said, very very well respected. Um, that San Francisco defense was 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 pretty pretty fearful, wasn't it? Really, at the back end, you know, it was a team that nobody wanted to go against. 
and I think he'll bring the right attitude and the right culture there. Um, I think that's the thing that's been missing really from the Jets. It's, it's actually been a bit of an identity, hasn't it, over the last few years? And I think you can say that about any side that Adam Gase has generally got his hands on. It just seems to have lost its identity. You know, he's another one similar to what we've said about um, Josh McDaniels about his reputation. You know, Adam Gase's reputation was built on having Peyton Manning for a year or two. And, you know, he's managed to turn that into a five or six year head coaching career. Hopefully he never, ever gets around an NFL team again. Um, Obviously, you're both nodding away. So I think think you're both in agreement with that one. I think that's fair to say. Yeah, just a bit. Um, You just don't want it really, do you? You just don't want uh, you don't want management dysfunction, especially at a team where the roster is declining as much as it is. There's only a couple of other um, teams around that have had that sort of dysfunction and you know they're now looking at the other side of it looking at you browns and texans um so uh sean it's your go mate um give us a player to look out for for the jets if you can and someone who's on the hot seat if you can because the hot seat doesn't seem all that hot in new york at the moment Oh, I've I've got a hot seat one nailed on. Don't worry oh, about that. Tottenham. Don't worry about that. Um, I think in terms of one to watch, I'm going to pick Corey Davis. Um, one of the free agent pickups signed a three-year, thirty-seven and a half million dollar contract. Seemed to finally get it together in his final year in Tennessee. Um, he was a first-round pick. Um, but in his final year at Tennessee, nine hundred forty-five yards, five touchdowns. Doesn't jump off the pages. A fantastic statistical season until you actually realise that he only actually started 10 games. Um, you know, so in terms of if you were to translate that up to full season pace, that would be, you know, a fairly impressive campaign. Um, I think he benefited from AJ Brown being on the other side and actually having a sort of wide receiving, uh, you know, sort of partner, if you like. So he comes into New York to be the number one receiver. Um, Jameson Crowder's had a couple of good years, but he's more of a slot guy. Um, so it'll be interesting to see Corey Davis in a different offense. Um, and obviously, like you say, he's going to be, his rookie quarterback's going to be relying on him to, to obviously step up to the plate for him. I think in terms of the hot seat, it was, to me, it was a relatively straightforward one. And you've, you've probably forgotten about him and that's probably part of the problem. And that's for me why he's on the hot seat. I'm talking CJ Mosley, who signed a five-year, $85 million deal with the Jets. And so far... He's actually registered four tackles for them. Um, mainly not his own fault, but he played two games in the 2019 season or played one game and then went down with injury in the second game. Um, was put on injured reserve. Never played again, obviously, throughout the 2019 season. And then he opted out last year because of COVID-related uh, Stuff so so far on an eighty-five million dollar investment in two years, the Jets have so far had four tackles for um, for all that money. So I think it's safe to say he is very very much on the hot seat. He was brought in to be the defensive leader, defensive linchpin, if you like. You know, the quarterback of the defense from that middle linebacker position. I think we've talked, you know, a little bit about what Robert Sala is going to bring in terms of an attitude and a defensive first mentality. You know, Mosley has got to earn his money here. You know, he, he really, really has. Um, you know, he, it was, like I say, groin surgery um, that, that held him out of 2019. And like I say, obviously a year out of football now. So 
big pressure on his shoulders to come back. Um, you know, but again, like I said, with the amount of money that's tied up in him, for me, he he absolutely stands out when you look at the rest of that roster as a guy that really does need to perform. Yeah, absolutely. I think you uh, um, nail on the head there. And I would just say the fa- sort of final word on the Jets is that um, you've got to feel for their fans. They've got to be one of the hardest teams to support in the NFL over the last few years. In the last four seasons, they have the worst record in the NFL, a combined 18 and 46. And Ooh. their point their point differential is minus 489. That's astonishing. Just imagine being a Jets fan. So I do feel sorry for them. But if you are a Jets fan and you like watching that type of football, they are coming to London this year. So mm-hmm. uh, as are the Dolphins, the two teams from the uh, from this uh, division are coming to London this season, You know, providing everything still goes ahead. Um, and I think tickets go on sale on the 25th for single game tickets, if there's any left. I don't know if there's going to be many because they're both at Spurs this year, aren't they? And they've got a, a far lower... Yeah. Uh, Far lower um, capacity than Wembley yeah, does. Sixty-two thousand. So, yeah, as opposed to ninety that Wembley yeah. holds. So yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if there's not many left. But yeah, if uh, uh, it'll be uh, good to see some some football back in London for sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like you say, it'd be great to to get a couple of games on. Fingers crossed that does indeed happen. Um, yeah, the Jets now following last year's. Um, Playoffs are now carrying the longest drought in terms of you know last playoff appearance. It goes all the way back to the 2010 AFC Championship game. Uh, so yeah, ten years since the Jets had postseason football. Um, next next one in that list is the Cardinals and the Bengals and the Broncos. Five years respectively. So yeah, like you say, it's been a tough time for Jets. I think it's going to continue to be a tough time. We've talked about the divisions and we talked earlier in the week, fellas, NFC East, and I said you know. It was very difficult to see a huge gap between first and last in that division. I think, you know, this is an example of a division that, you know, unfortunately, you know, and having a beat up on New York Jets fans while they were probably already down. But I think this is one of those divisions that there is a clear gulf, you would say, between the Jets and everybody else that's in there. So I'm going to come and ask you, boys, as we have been doing to finish the podcast in terms of your predicted order of finish. Um, you know, let's see if anybody's brave enough to move the Jets off the basement. I doubt it, but you never know. Josh, let's come to you first. Of course not. Of course not. Um, have you not been listening to me all night? <laughs> um, yeah, so again, I'm very high on the Bills again this year just because I think that their schedule is really good for them. I've got them topping it at 13 wins, but I do see them crashing out in the divisional round this year. Um, I don't see them actually making it to the championship round um, just because the AFC is so stacked. Then I've got Miami just tipping the New England Patriots. It's very much a coin flip, and I think a lot's going to matter on their matchups during the season. But I've got them on nine and a half, and which will put them right on the wild card bubble. Um, I've then got the New England Patriots on eight and a half. That, of course, changes if Matt Jones is in rather than Cam Newton, maybe by one game. Um, And then I've got the Jets at four. So not the worst. There are definitely some lower down, but I think that they will lose out quite a bit to the teams around them. Talking about like the Bengals, for example, um, the Panthers, that sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, it's... uh, a rebuild still. Four four games isn't terrible. 
Okay, Steve, have you got it? Yeah, it's difficult to disagree with that. You know, um, I think I think Buffalo will will um, clean sweep the division. I, I actually dare I say they might go six and zero in the division as well. Like I think they're going to be that dominant this season. I, I really, I'm high on Buffalo. I think they could go fourteen and three, um, perhaps. Um, I think they're a really, really good side, and I think they're going to the AFC Championship game. I wouldn't like to call it from there, but I think they'll be in the championship game. Um, I think Miami is the next. I think they finish ten and seven, maybe eleven and six, and I think they'll be on the fringes of the playoffs again. And you know, for all of our uh, our colleagues that are Miami fans, it would be painful if they miss out that close again if it comes to one game again and they miss out again that would be painful for them and and that and the problem is if that happens it doesn't really answer the question does it, it doesn't really answer the two a question it doesn't give you a, a, an answer one way or the other so yeah i think they'll be there i think new england will be on the fringes of a 500 season perhaps um you know eight and um nine and eight around that sort of level um maybe maybe just the other way uh, but it's going to be close and the jets you know again it's it's as we've just said they're they're going through this long rebuild i think three maybe four maybe even five wins you know you look at their schedule and they've got winnable games carolina denver atlanta cincinnati um houston dare i say even my eagles are certainly in that conversation jacksonville so there's winnable games there are games they can definitely pick up w's from but Will they actually win that many? I don't know. So, yeah, maybe three or four wins for for uh, New York, unfortunately. Yeah, and I'm going to make it a clean sweep. So we've all got it finishing in the same order. Um, I don't think Buffalo improved from 13 wins. It may well be in and around that mark again, 12-13. I think Miami probably improve on 10. Maybe they get up to, you know, 11 and 6. Um, I can see New England getting back above 500. Well, there's not such thing as 500 anymore in a 17-game season. I'm going to have to get used to that. But, yeah, I can see New England with a winning record, and I think the Jets will prop it up, unfortunately. That's the AFC East done. NFC East was out earlier in the week, if you haven't heard it yet. And if you're really behind on your schedule, we've got the AFC and NFC North in the queue for you as well. So we're halfway through the divisions. We'll be back next week when we'll be heading south. We'll have to draw straws, fellas, for who's going to get the Houston Texans player to watch. That's going to be interesting. That might take a week of research on its own so we'll be back with nfc and afc south next week if you haven't done so already what are you waiting for get yourself a copy of the nfl season guide that we here at the full 10 yards have produced get it in your cart on the website add the code yards and get a quid off and it'll just be 3.99 um not sure what we're doing now in terms of physicals because obviously this will be later in the week so they could be sold out they might not be check on the website and uh, if there are any left grab yourself a physical copy as well if you're interested as ever all of the profits from it going back into Britball. um so yeah really proud of what we're doing in terms of the scheme and uh, like i say you will not be disappointed with the guide if you purchase it so uh, please continue to support it um, and grab your copies that's it fellas it's been a blast two podcasts again this week um two again next week two the week after and then we'll finally be into some actual football to talk about so can't wait for it we'll be back next week in your ears again thanks for listening tell your friends if they're not subscribed to get listening as well thanks for listening to the full 10 yards nfl podcast thanks for listening to the podcast Don't forget to find us on all our social channels, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok and YouTube. Head over to our website, full10yards.com, where you can find out more information about why we are hashtag for the game.